Welcome to the Positivity Platform. We are your hosts, Erica and Devlin. Join us for weekly chats that unpack life's experiences and forge pathways to positivity. Welcome to this week's episode of the Positivity Platform. This is Erica. And I'm Evelyn. And we're really excited about our second episode. We always want to start with just having a little bit of golf cart talk. So, (laughs) and if you don't know, I do too. And if for those of you who don't know what the golf cart reference is, please feel free to listen to our intro episode, which is not a full podcast length episode for us, but it's an intro to our podcast and it will explain the golf cart reference. Yeah. So golf cart talk, what's going on, Evelyn? Actually, I wanted to ask you about something because I saw that you went to a roaring 20. Was it a roaring 20s? Yes, it was. It was a roaring 20s party. And okay, this is when we're going to get real Evelyn. So I have And I don't, I think you know this, but I am definitely introverted. You know, I love talking to people and I really enjoy get togethers and getting out, but I definitely, and we've talked about this before, need time to recharge, right? Mm -hmm. And larger social gatherings where I don't know a lot of people, Mm -hmm. actually, it does generate a lot of anxiety within me. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to attend. It just means that I definitely have anxiety leading up to the specific event. Mm-hmm. Well, we had this huge Roaring Twenties themed surprise birthday party for one of Odie's friends. I know the friend and her wife. I just don't know the other people <laughs> that were going to be there. Oh. And it was huge. So I'll be honest, all day long, it was just wearing on me and wearing on me. And then you add the added element of having to dress up in 20s garb and the the hair and the makeup and all this stuff. And what if I'm the only one that actually really went all out and got dressed up or, mm-hmm. you know, because oh, you just... look like you stepped right oh. out of a film. <laughs> you did. I saw the picture and I was just I had to share it with everyone. Look at my friend Erica and Odie. They're going to look how wonderful their costumes are. I yes. really right. did. So go you did. You, so I one. get it. You were like, did everybody else? Am I going to be the geek that just <laughs> went <laughs> all the way out and everybody else is? Yes. Okay, I get well, it. So there is. Some- yes. So hours before I did think, okay, I'm going to have a cocktail, you know, just to... <laughs> Yes, take the edge off. (laughs) Take the edge off. But then I ended up having like two cocktails before we left the house. Mm-hmm. And this is just being very honest. And then when we got there, there were cocktails. The social anxiety, <laughs> like, oh, I'll take one of those. Yes. And then I'll take another one. And another one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Needless to that say. That usually gets me in trouble. <laughs> I can tell you this in all honesty. Odie told me I did pull out the sexy dance. Oh. I was like, <laughs> I was having full on fun, but everybody Good. was having yes. full on fun. We had a little bit of karaoke. So fun. I did my at last. And he oh. said Ooh. that usually when we do like karaoke, it's like, oh, I'm singing this to my man. He said, I was putting on a show for the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. Well, hopefully there's no video as evidence. I was just saying, oh, I hope someone posts a video, sends you a video of it. But it was really, really fun. And it turned out that I did know a few other people. So I might have known maybe like eight people there. So it wasn't so bad. And we actually had a really great time. And everybody did dress up. And as a matter of fact, we can probably put a picture of the Roaring Twenties up on our website when we complete this, in case anybody wants to see the whole garb. But it was actually very, very fun. Something that we will definitely talk about on another day and unpack is... Where is that balance? You were absolutely, that's the appropriate time to have your drinks, to unwind, and then Mm -hmm. you have a good time. But there's a fine line, or sometimes it could, you don't know which way it's going to go. Because I've done that a couple of times and I didn't have the fun time. I just went over and now I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm acting in a way that isn't true to myself. And And then when the day is over, I look back and I think, I probably should not have gone (laughs) or maybe not should not have gone, but I should not have drank. I I shouldn't have. So anyway, that that'll be something that I know we could toss around ideas and put them into practice and see what works because everybody will. Yeah. Yeah. Have something different. 
Yeah. And I think the thing about it is, is people think like, oh, you know, you can't possibly be an introvert if you're somebody who likes to talk to people or you're somebody who likes Mm -hmm. to have deep conversations with people or if you're someone who likes to go out and have a good time. But I just think it's really important to recognize that there are people who struggle with a little bit of social anxiety, but that doesn't mean it holds them back from the ability Mm -hmm. to get out there and have a good time or experience deep friendships or mingle with strangers. It just means Mm -hmm. that there's a little bit of anxiety surrounding Mm -hmm. it. The practices to overcome that sans alcohol, might be a good idea for me because I was like a little <laughs> yeah, bit that gone. worked for you. Yes. <laughs> but it was fun. And I do have memories of it. So therefore it must not oh. have been too bad <laughs> over the yes, top. But... And that's also good because you guys, we do have to add this in there. You and Odie always Uber. Yes. So that you are responsible. Responsible and yeah. safe to enjoy yourself in that way. And yes. I do think we should mention too that you have Odie somewhat you should you had someone looking out for you to kind of monitor so that if you do have spotted memory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. If your memory so. has like holes in it, at least you went into it knowing that you had someone taking care of you. Yeah. Well, I will say yeah. it was really fun getting dressed up. I actually went on like multiple YouTube videos. YouTube? About, <laughs> yes. About makeup yeah. from the roaring twenties. My face had so much makeup on it. And you know, I don't wear like foundation or anything. Mm-hmm. I had the foundation and the concealer and like five, six different colors of eyeshadows. And I mm-hmm. learned how to blend. Like, I don't know any of that stuff. I just followed YouTube videos, but it actually turned out looking pretty decent. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I could do this 20 thing, <laughs> this you 20s know what? thing. This is another subject that I want to touch on, which is so great, is that we haven't yet addressed the fact that we are Gen Xers. Yes. Right? So we have all this social media, our children we've been exposed to, but we are actually moms of that. So we were like the gatekeepers, monitoring, ushering all this in. And so I feel even for myself, I know it's out there, but I've never really utilized it the way that it's meant to. For instance, YouTube videos. I've seen all of my kids one way or another researching how to do something. For me, YouTube is how do you unclog the kitchen sink without calling a plumber? (laughs) That's the extent. Mine is always functional and or when do you call upon, can I do this? But for you to go on and do a YouTube tutorial, I mean, it's amazing what's out there. It is. Yeah, definitely. Because back in our day, I mean, we would have had to go to, I mean, weddings. We went to the mat counter. Yes, exactly. And you'd have to pay someone, say, oh, can you do, I'm going to a 20s party. And then you're at the mercy of whatever they put on your face. Mm -hmm. But now that you looked it up, because you nailed it, you absolutely have to upload a picture. Yeah. Because Odie, he looked great. Absolutely. Guys are easy, right? But I was so impressed with your hair, your makeup. And because I know that you are not, you are a minimalist when it comes, you have been very blessed with perfect skin. No, that's not uh, so. Without, I mean, well, you know, I have to wear, I, I don't have to, I choose to wear foundation to, um, even out my skin, but for you to go and put on all of it, you know, you did a good job. I, I, and I had to spend money on it too, which was the hardest thing, Evelyn. I was like, damn makeup's expensive. Like, let me tell you at this, at the rate I use it, I will have this stuff till I'm 85 because I don't expect a whole (laughs) lot of roaring twenties parties in my future. So, (laughs) well, something I did learn is that it makeup does expire. Just letting you know. (laughs) Okay. Good to know. (laughs) So I think unless, I don't know, can you vacuum pack. Okay. We're totally being moms now. Can you vacuum pack Ziploc and like suck all the air out? And I don't know. And then only can, open it. I don't know. I'll just pass it along. Cause I do not envision myself putting on full makeup like that. That's just not, I know too much. It was a lot of work too. It was, I was worried we were going to be late because all that, it took a long time, you know? Okay. 
So as we mentioned in the beginning, both Evelyn and I golf. That's what the golf cart reference is. But this weekend on Sunday, so obviously I didn't play on Saturday because we had a birthday party for um, niece and nephew. And then on Sunday, we decided to play because we hadn't played for days. So we played out at Clipper. And, you know, obviously other side of the island from where we live. But it was a beautiful, beautiful day. The forecast had said, because, you know, Kaneohe side, it can get pretty rainy over there, especially at this time of year. The mm-hmm. forecast had said that it was supposed to rain. Literally, as we finished hole 18 and we were putting the golf cart clubs into the car, the clouds came on and it started raining. Well, we got through the whole round with like beautiful, sunny weather. And mm-hmm. I was really thinking to myself, what an awesome gift that first we hadn't played for multiple days. Second, we don't get to play Clipper a lot just because of our distance from the course. But third, uh-huh. just to be able to, you know, the beauty of that course, uh-huh. to be able to experience it on such a beautiful day. And it's like the rain held off just for us or something because uh, it yes. was just so special. Yeah, it was a good day. Well, I think that's a perfect moment to segue into our week's mindful minute. This is where we want to pause and think about what we're grateful for. And sometimes we can be going through things that are quite challenging and heavy on our mind, but we want to practice just taking a moment to find something that you are grateful for. For me this week, I'm grateful for wide expanses and beautiful landscapes. Like mm-hmm. standing up on the 13th hole at Clipper was like, you you know, you've been there before. Yes. And, it and I take a picture gets, every, every single time. time. I know. Yes. It never, we should put a picture of that up too, Evelyn. Mm-hmm. It never gets old. To see that view, that unobstructed view out into the Pacific, the cliffs on the one side, the mountains behind you, it's the most beautiful view. And to feel lucky enough to be able to see that whenever we play Clipper and to be able to stand on the edge looking down over the shoreline. And it's just breathtaking. So honestly, the opportunity to see amazing landscapes and seascapes and and to take that all in and really have a vast appreciation for the beauty of just our earth in general. Mm-hmm. My mindful minute, my moment of gratitude is it's almost Christmas and my college students are coming home or my children who do not live on island with me are coming home. And so my youngest, who is uh, a junior in college, arrived Sunday. And just knowing that she is happy to be home and the holidays are starting and she's doing well, well, for all of us who have children, just that feeling of having them for this time, but also being grateful that they go back to yeah. whatever they're doing, right? <laughs> that they Aww, have. Yeah. Yes. Not I in mean, a negative way, just because no, they are not, living their lives and that's what they should be doing. Yes. And that is going to be a whole other, I would, I can't wait till we touch on that. And that is the art of letting your children go. Yes. And it is an art because Mm -hmm. I've been learning a lot of that, but also enjoying when they do come home and the time that you have together and being grateful for that. So, all right. Well, today we are sharing a story that illuminates finding inner power and creating new beginnings. How do we know when it's time to start over and how do we find the inner strength to begin again when it means letting go of what no longer serves our highest good and our greatest joy. With that, Erica, can you take us to our moving moment? So our moving moment is an inspirational quote that ties into the theme of the day. Today's quote is by Mandy Hale. And I quote, growth is painful. Change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. So with that, Evelyn. Yes, I want to introduce our guest, which is my co-host, Erica. 
And the theme is, again, new beginnings. But before you share your story, I want to say, when I met you and I learned of your story, there was something that we had talked about, and that was I had already shared with you my better than fine story. You know, I had tragedy. It was death. It happened to be loss Mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. But when you shared your story, I was so inspired and in awe that, and I'm not going to give anything away, but once you told me what your journey had been, and we talked about, I remember you saying it and kind of reflecting back, but it's nothing like what you went through, you know, it's nothing like that. And something that's so important with all of the guests or all of the stories that we share is that we cannot compare hardship or tragedies. For one person, it could be the loss of a spouse, you know, for another person, whatever their hardest moment I feel that you should never take that away. I mean, what your hardest moment, if it isn't death or loss, it doesn't diminish what you have gone through because that was your hardest moment. Mm -hmm. So I am so excited for you to share your story because I believe people will hear it and it will inspire them to take action or maybe reflect and ask themselves, is it? time for my new beginning. So with that, Erica, let's hop on the platform with you and let's unpack this unique life experience. Okay. So Evelyn, I actually spent time thinking about how I would um, present my story. I realize because when you and I talk about past, I kind of start with somewhere in the middle. But I realized that as I was writing some bullet point notes of what I wanted to share, my story actually really starts with my early childhood. And I want to share a little bit about that because I really think it's what created this framework from which I operated. Let me just share that that I am biracial. So I'm half black and half white. And in the period of time when I grew up, which is the 70s, and then Mm -hmm. into the 80s, there were not a lot of biracial children. I just did not fit in. I never had a space where I fit in. I mean, this is just removed from the 60s, which is civil rights era. There was just a lot of racism. I experienced some really hard things in my early childhood. And Just one example that came to mind as I was formulating the plan for what I would say here is my mom, there was one time it was Easter. She got us all Easter dresses and we dressed up and she did our hair. And this was very rare that this type of thing happened, but she did our hair and, you know, we had these lovely Easter dresses. Well, after Easter, we all wanted to wear our Easter dresses to school. So sh- she said, okay, you know, you can wear your Easter dress to school. But it was a really chilly morning because in New Jersey at that time, in, you know, April, in it's April. still pretty darn cold in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so she said, but you, you know, the Easter dress was like sort of an off the shoulder and short sleeve roughly kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So she gave me a blue shawl to put on. You know what a shawl is, like one mm-hmm. of those like... And it was like a crocheted blue shawl. And so I was thinking, oh my gosh, I was feeling good about myself and looking really good. And I got on the school bus and the kids started laughing. And they, one particularly, I don't know if he was probably eighth grade at the time, I might've been in sixth, screamed from the back and said, don't you know that black and blue don't mix? I'll never forget that, Uh, Evelyn, you know, because my skin mm -hmm. color and the shawl. But I don't like dwell in a space of being impacted by racism. But when you already don't have a sense of belonging and you already don't feel confident in yourself and you already don't have self-esteem, when you are dealing with this kind of thing on a very, Mm -hmm. very regular basis, it's like, well, who am I? What am I worth? Am I worth nothing? Am I not a human? Am I not somebody who deserves to be loved or cared about or have nice things said about me or anything Mm -hmm. else? And so I just, I 
truly, honestly, was a lost child. You know, it led to a lot of self-destructive behavior, I would say, for myself. Mm -hmm. I had a rebellious spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like in efforts to try to just be seen, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember this is a really bad story. (laughs) Should I tell it? It's really, really bad, Evelyn, but I do. Let's do it. And then, and then see how comfortable you feel hearing it and putting it out. And then we can go from there. Remember what we said? We said we wanted to put this out for others. Yeah. But what we said also was that this was a way for us to heal So you tell what you need to, because this isn't just telling your story for somebody else. This is telling your story to also find healing where maybe you haven't, you said you haven't talked about this Yeah, and for you to go back. So yes, I think go ahead, share it, be free and authentic. And then maybe, and then when you hear it back, you can decide. Okay. Really, honestly, some of the behaviors that I exhibited in my early teens, and I'm talking about early teens, like 14, 15, were so self-destructive. But I think ultimately it was really just in an effort to try to be seen or in some way to be liked even. Well, and then that, I think that's very normal for a teenager. But if you're coming from systemic racism, in the early, in the now mid seventies, it's on a different level. A lot of people say, Oh, I just want to be loved. No, I just wanted to be liked. I didn't even mm-hmm. know what love even looked like. Like mm-hmm. in my family, we never even said the words, I love you. There was or no, probably I too. You. I just don't eat. I just want to be not disliked or yes. hated. So there's this one story that I'm going to share just because I do think it will show you the depths of my emotional anguish. Mm-hmm. And you I will you'll hear this and you'll think that's effing crazy. And it is effing crazy. But this is a the truth. So I was 14. And again, we were well off. My parents just they provided everything for us in terms of mm-hmm. finances, but just didn't mm-hmm. there was just no love and no care. There was no guidance attention, or guidance, like affection. nothing. Yes. Affection, nothing. And so I was starved starved for love. I remember I had my own phone in the bedroom and back then they were phones. We didn't have cell phones. It was like a right. phone in the wall, you know, uh-huh. and I had my own phone number. It wasn't even like, yeah. So uh, it wasn't even cordless time, right? Yeah. I no, mean, no. It was, no. Like, it was like you the dragged attached. the wire all the way <laughs> yes. into your bedroom. Yes. My sisters and I each had our own phone number in our bedroom and it was like a, a purple little Conair wall phone. I picked it up and back then, people used to do like prank calls. This particular caller was an older gentleman, and he was like, you know, what are you wearing? I was so love-starved that I started talking to this guy, and there was a lot of inappropriate conversation. And mm-hmm. then I allowed him to pick me up and take me somewhere. <gasps> and I literally walked down to the end of my street. The guy was probably 35. I walked down to the end of my streets. My parents didn't know where I was going, got in the car. I was probably 14, a truck with this guy and went off. Thank God I came back alive. We Mm -hmm. ended up going to Rockway Mall, smoking pot. And then as he was driving me home, he said, can I kiss you? And I was like, yeah. And I let him kiss me like 35, 40 year old guy. And I was 14 years Mm. old, but that's just a story to tell you how I just, I think I was so starved Mm -hmm. for love and attention that I didn't even have the wherewithal to see how inappropriate and messed up this was. It was like, Mm -hmm. somebody likes me. He didn't Mm -hmm. even know me. Somebody was in, somebody likes me Mm -hmm. and my first kiss. With yes, some with, with a, a stranger predator, yeah, predator for predator. sure. Well, because I know, he's just calling. Did you know him, or no, he was just random? No, it was a random prank call. But that just gives you insight into how emotionally fragile I truly was. You know what I mean? At the time, yes. very emotionally fragile. But fast forward to I think in my probably upper high school years where I discovered, okay, I can also do well in school. And thankfully, I had, I think, feasted on the praise of teachers. 
oh, she's smart, you know, and mm-hmm. if I couldn't be pretty and I couldn't be loved, at least I could be smart, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was smart. So I got into Wake Forest University mm-hmm. and found myself at college. And it was the first time that I was in a multiracial environment within the continental United States. That coupled with the fact that I became a student athletic trainer for the football and basketball teams. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I found myself as sort of the object of a lot of male attention. Definitely looking back on it, I think I was an attractive young girl, but I had never had all of these males that were very, very attracted to me. Mm-hmm. And so All of a sudden, it's kind of like I almost had this onslaught of attention. I can honestly tell you that I I was like eating it all up as much as I could. I loved the attention, but there was one guy who fell very quickly and was willing to profess love. I think the one thing that I had been missing Mm -hmm. my whole life, keep in mind, I never heard the words, I love you. My family didn't speak those words. Mm -hmm. And I certainly never felt that. And, Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, there was this guy who loved me. So into a relationship I got by the middle of my freshman year of college. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was freshman year of college. I was 18 years old, Evelyn, Uh 18 years old. We never had like what I would consider a healthy relationship, but I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. I had no clue. All you knew is he loves me. He loved me. And I got to hang on to this. Correct. Yes. So four years, I dated again, air quotes, because how do you date in college when you have no money? But I was with this guy and my sophomore year, he proposed to me. And even throughout the course of that relationship, there was never what would be considered a healthy relationship. There Mm -hmm. was jealousy. There was a lot of um, possessiveness. And there was also infidelity. We weren't married and there was already infidelity, not on my part, on his part. And yet there was nothing in me that gave me the strength to say, I'm worth more than this. There just wasn't a reference for me to Mm -hmm. understand what healthy looked like. How you were feeling prior to meeting him, this was still a step up for you. Oh, yeah. Somebody said that, I mean, or how you felt about yourself because Mm -hmm. you didn't know anything else. I mean, you went, I mean, you started this at 14 with feeling this attention from a stranger, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and then now you fast forward, you have the freedom and now, yeah, you have no reference. All you know is this guy says he loves me. Maybe this is what love looks like. Maybe this is what love looks like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh fast forward another four years and graduated college and we ended up getting married. And I distinctly remember I was walking down the aisle and my dad just looked at me and said, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. He had a church full, you know what I mean? His Mm -hmm. family, my family. But I did. I walked down the aisle and I said, well, of course I do. You know, he loves me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, and I got married. Um, I obviously didn't, I thought this was the hand that I've been dealt. This is my love. So Mm -hmm. I got married and I knew in the back of my mind somewhere that I've been hurt so much already at that point in the relationship, Mm -hmm. but it's like, okay, better to be unhappy than be alone. You know, you know, I don't want to paint my ex-husband to be a bad person, but he Mm -hmm. was not a good husband. And I think we need to distinguish that because he was acting out of his own traumas. So 
Right. But, and I, uh, and I love that you're acknowledging that and we'll take a pause here to say that's not to condone. No, the behavior it's, Mm -hmm. and this is part of the positivity platform to under, we are going for understanding not to condone someone's behavior or to release them of the responsibility. But unless you start recognizing that everyone is only doing what they know how, that's the only way you're going to find forgiveness Mm -hmm. and the ability to move forward. Absolutely. Okay, sorry, I think go that's ahead. So I just important. wanted to inject because I think that's very, not just big of you, but very wise of you to know we could sit here and have a, and, you know, golf cart session and yeah. <laughs> rip him apart. You know, I'd be like, oh, that's, a, but we don't even do that in our golf cart because we know getting into all the pain that someone caused you, the deeper the pain you felt, you know, it comes from a place of pain. And those flaws that he probably carried forth from his own traumas, they certainly didn't lend themselves to making one a good husband. (laughs) So even throughout my marriage, I just never had the stability in the entire 28-year marriage of someone who I could trust and count on to protect me, like either physically or emotionally or mentally. Like It was a very destructive marriage to me personally. I was an army spouse. In the army, marriage is tough as it is. And if you're already prone to having certain flaws within your marriage, those Mm -hmm. flaws are easily, they were just magnified during deployment times. Looking back on it, when he would come home, the fighting would be so severe because I was so wounded and so hurt and so desperate. And yet I just tried so hard to cling to the only idea of family and love that I ever knew. So I just would accept the I'm sorry's and accept the Mm -hmm. I'll change and accept Mm -hmm. the I will never do this again or accept the, but I love you so much because that Mm -hmm. love word was like everything to me. And also at this point, you've created the family you never had. You are Correct. the mom that you, you are the mom to your children. That's right. And yeah. you are providing all this love. I yeah. see the hope in that. I think people think, well, well, having these horrible things happen within your marriage, why wouldn't you just leave? Because mm-hmm. if what you just said, because I was a good mother, he was a good father in many ways. We were not a good married couple. He was not a good husband. But we always think we're going to do the right thing by our children. And I'm going to keep this family intact. The the other interesting thing, Evelyn, is that I think to people on the outside, they would have had no idea of what Mm -hmm. the inner turmoil looked like. Oh, yes. I think, well, anyone who's been married, I think, well, there are lots of people who can relate to that. And because we are both military wives, presentation means a lot. I bet you guys look like the perfect family from the outside, right? Yep, the perfect family. But inside, I literally Mm -hmm. became numb. First of all, I had gained 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like this outer protection. But also inside, I literally became numb. And I think when you become numb, it scares other people because you're no longer feeling toward them. And Mm -hmm. so you're no longer reacting the same way. So Mm -hmm. when something else would occur within the marriage, I wouldn't even cry anymore. I didn't even Mm -hmm. have a tear to cry anymore, Mm -hmm. Evelyn. I was numb. And the more numb I became, Mm -hmm. the more desperate he became. Mm -hmm. The less I cried, the more he maybe raged a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I just literally got to the point where within the walls of our home, there wasn't even a semblance of a marriage. I had no feeling left to give. And that's a self-preservation method too. Mm -hmm. When you can no longer have the emotional capacity to feel that pain anymore, there's something within you that closes down And you just become numb. And like I said, the more I became numb, the more desperate he became. I I feel like he just knew that he was losing me. 
Do you think part of the numbing was too, because at that point, I mean, because this is new beginnings, you didn't realize you accepted that things weren't going to change and numbing is how I can still be here in this marriage. Yeah, absolutely. But still. Yeah. And I, and yet again, keep in mind that the traumas of my past come into mm-hmm. play where, yeah, everybody's like, well, why didn't you just leave? I, I didn't have that capacity within me in that at that time to leave. And I also don't know what it means to love myself enough to think that I'm worth more than that. But one night it really did change. So there obviously was a pivotal moment because the story is about new beginnings. <laughs> and I'll never forget that night. It was Christmas time. And my grown son was home for Christmas. And the aggression was so strong that my son literally needed to drag his father out of the room because he feared for my safety. And Mm -hmm. tears were like welling and then dripping from his eyes. And Mm -hmm. my youngest son, who was nine at the time, had called my older daughter on the phone crying and crying because of what he was witnessing in the Mm -hmm. home. And she was on the phone from 3,000 miles away hearing all of this, powerless to do mm-hmm. anything except comfort her little brother. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my son's girlfriend, it was the first time we had met that week. Mm-hmm. Um, she just pulled me out of the house and into the, into the car and drove me away. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how horrible I felt that my son and his girlfriend had mm-hmm. to save, come to your rescue, had to come to my rescue, had to come mm-hmm. to my rescue. In that moment, seeing the tears of my 24-year-old son at the time and knowing how hard that must have been for him because he loves his father and he loves me. And just thinking how difficult that must have been for him in that moment to have to come to my rescue. I realized that I hadn't been strong. I've always thought I was such a strong person and I could be numb and just endure. It wasn't strength at all. It was actually weakness and a lack of courage. I understand why my entire past history laid the foundation for that weakness and that lack of courage. But nevertheless, it was time for me to make a change. And within one week, I packed a suitcase and one Rubbermaid, and I moved out of the house and filed for divorce. In that moment, I realized that all the things I thought I had been doing right Mm. for the right reasons Mm -hmm. actually were incredibly traumatic for my children over the Mm -hmm. course of 20 years, 25 Mm -hmm. years, 28 years, Mm -hmm. traumatic. So within one week, I Mm -hmm. moved out of the house, took a suitcase of clothes and a Rubbermaid that had books. <laughs> I know I love, <laughs> I love my books. I can laugh, but I was like, I'm not I even my that. favorite, yes. you know, you know, cause I'm a collector of vintage books and I love oh. like vintage classics. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not leaving my vintage books, you know, let alone the 28 years of other household mm-hmm. goods that we had acquired. And I didn't care. I just long I had my books and my clothes, <laughs> a mm-hmm. suitcase worth. And I moved into a a single room in a house, uh, a four-bedroom house, and Mm -hmm. um, owned by a retired gentleman. But the interesting thing is, I had had divorce papers completed for months. By that point, we had already been living in separate bedrooms. Like again, we had no, we were separated. We were actually Mm -hmm. separated. I just knew that whatever my circumstances would be in the weeks and months to come. What I knew was that it was time for me to start over. In the months to come, I will say that obviously it was scary. It's scary to start over. Some people come into an inner strength much sooner than maybe I would have. But I know it took that low, low to come to the point where I knew there was something bigger for me. Mm-hmm. that I knew there was a greater good for me out there, a higher mm-hmm. good for me out there. But mm-hmm. I knew that if I was alone for the rest of my life, it's almost like the biggest thing that you fear being alone when you never had love or you never had. But if I were alone for the rest of my life, it would be better 
than being than this, this mm-hmm. better than this. So that was that. And good things obviously have come in the year. And I think sometimes when you step out in faith and you make that big change, you know, you invite in all that the universe sort of already had out there waiting for you. And now all of a sudden you see these doors that are opening or these new experiences or these new people that enter into your life. Or even if none of that is the case, the newfound confidence that you have that you can do this, that you have the inner strength to recognize that you can start over and you don't need to be in a place that is unhealthy. You are worth more. Well, based on the experience you shared with us, how have you forged pathways to positivity? The interesting thing, Evelyn, is I was never more certain of something in my oh, life. I like that. never I more certain that. of something in my life. I remember driving away and feeling this sense of, it's so cliche, but like my life is actually about to begin. I hadn't been living, Evelyn. That's Mm -hmm. not living. That's not living. Mm -hmm. That's existing. I was existing, Mm -hmm. but now my life was about to begin. And I wasn't, I won't say I was joy filled. I would say I was like relieved and Mm -hmm. optimistic for the first time. And I I don't think I was, I won't say I was happy in that moment because that's weird. How are you happy? But what I could say is I was choosing happiness, Mm -hmm. that there was happiness around the corner and I could Mm -hmm. sense that. What I realized is like through that is like the universe does indeed have great things. It's us. Mm -hmm. We hold our own selves back from that, Mm -hmm. whether it's fear or whatever the traumas are that hold us back Mm -hmm. in that moment when I left. I knew I was choosing a future happiness. I might not have had that happiness in that moment. And the happiness isn't a person or a place. It's an inner peace. And I was choosing to seek out that happiness. And so what does life look like today? I am at peace with the way things are in my life right now. I can recognize that there will always be challenges, but there's always good in the midst of challenges. And there's a difference between challenges and negativity or challenges and things that are essentially and fundamentally bad for us. We will always have challenges and we will always have to face challenges. But what we don't have to do is live in a space where something is fundamentally bad for us. We can choose something more. We can choose a new beginning. We can choose to start over from there. I also recognize that the way that I react to challenges, going numb with self-preservation, I get that. Mm -hmm. But the way that I react to challenges will directly impact the outcome. So Mm -hmm. if I look at a challenge and I'm ready to face it and I go into it from a place of positivity, even something as simple as maybe a conflict that you might know that you're going to have to engage in. If I can go into that, that conflict, I can get through this because I Mm -hmm. know that there's good on the other side of it. So how can I navigate this in the most positive way so that all, you know, all stakeholders (laughs) come out feeling validated and relieved and uh, heard? Like I'm just choosing to see good in the midst of challenges and choosing my own reaction to the way that I approach those challenges so that I'm setting myself up for the good on the other side rather than expecting the negative. All right. So now my divorce has been final and I'm in a very, very healthy relationship with a pretty cute guy. If I say, (laughs) if I say so myself, no, but not just as he cute, he's super wonderful. (laughs) So caring, so kind. We have great communication. I think one of the things about the fact that I chose a new beginning is I also chose to let go of the painful past because I don't think you can have a, a new beginning if you hold on to the negativity from the past. So what Mm -hmm. that looks like today, obviously I have my 11-year-old son and I'm co-parenting with my ex-husband. And throughout this time, there've been a lot of challenges with that, you know, specifically because I will say he had a really difficult time with losing me for good. He had Mm -hmm. a really hard time with that. And so there was a lot of negativity coming from his end. Mm -hmm. We had some battles over co-parenting some situations where maybe he wasn't handling my new relationship very well. One thing I can tell you though, and I think this is a pathway to positivity, is that throughout all of that, I chose my reaction. 
I could have looked at that challenge and chose to heap negativity upon negativity, lash out back. But instead, I chose to approach him with kindness. And I think that that is really something that has paid dividends over the long run. Here we are now co-parenting fairly successfully. And I think the natural reaction, or I think what he maybe thought would be the natural reaction was that I would get angry or bitter in return, but I didn't because the only Mm -hmm. person's behavior that I can control is my own. And so when I look at these challenges and these struggles post-divorce with my ex-husband, I choose to look at those from a place of positivity. How can I build a better bridge, a stronger bridge that we can better co-parent rather than how can I continue to add negativity to a space that's already negative? And you are paving a positive pathway for healing. Obviously, you still are able to be compassionate and empathetic to even your ex. Yes. Yeah. You know, and not... And let go of taking that personally. I mean, that's hard, Erica. Yeah. And I've, I, I know, like, I, I have actually that. forgiven him. You oh, know, I've that's forgiven the best. him, yes. Evelyn. And I mean that sincerely. Mm-hmm. I hold clearly. No, I have yes. forgiven him. And the thing mm-hmm. is, I, I hope that maybe someday he gets to the point where he's able to fully forgive himself. What I recognize also is that, yeah, it might have taken me 28 years to get out, but I got out. My struggle, my journey was a lot longer than many other people who have been in bad marriages. My background is also different. Everybody's background is Mm -hmm. different. So I've also forgiven myself for the lack of strength and courage Mm -hmm. that I needed in the moment when I needed it. Because when I finally got it, I got it. You know what I mean? And so one of you're, you've, you're, come from like a spiritual background too, but, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'm a person of faith. I will say that, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of the scripture verses that I remember, I won't say that I'm practicing it in the same way that I used to practice my faith, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that I'm not a person of faith. I definitely am. You don't truly. Yeah. 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 But so one of the scripture verses that I, I can't is um, from Job who had so many struggles and so many challenges and so many trials in Job 23, 10, when it says, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. And I think like, this is really important. Like, you know, when gold is first harvested, if you will, it's, it's like black and covered in like gunk and um, thick, like um, outer, almost like coal. And the only way that you can actually get the gold to look like gold is through incredible heat. It's like a refining process and they remove all the impurities on the outside. That's called the dross. And so when Job says, you know, I will come forth as gold when he has tested me, that's because you have to go through trials. You have to go through challenges. You have to go through struggles and tribulations. And the only way that you can really become refined is through that process. And I think my process was just a lot longer than other people's mm-hmm. processes, but that doesn't mean it wasn't as valuable. And at mm-hmm. the end, it doesn't mean that the resulting product is any less shiny. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's my, you know, it's shiny and new and it's, you know, and it's my shiny and new. And so mm-hmm. I'm really, really excited about the fact that I'm able to look at that 28 years and that long process as a refining mm-hmm. process because I learned a lot and I've grown a lot, you know, and I know mm-hmm. what I will and will not allow myself to um, revisit. And I also know that I'm worth something, which I didn't know before. Oh, for sure. And I'm hoping that somebody who is listening to this, I know that you say your process and your journey was very long, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping somebody that's listening to this, they may still be sitting there not making that move. You know it's wrong. You you may be talking to somebody who is numb and and still in that process. And I'm hoping that they'll hear this and they can take action or at least start to contemplate like forging a path to positivity. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Erica, for sharing that. I mean, I know that this will definitely give people a tool, or at least it's a very inspiring story to forge your own pathway to positivity. And thank you for sharing. Well, thanks for letting me share it. I appreciate it. It's time for our better than fine weekly practice. And that's our takeaway practice for the week. 
a tool that you can implement to hopefully pave a pathway to positivity for yourself. So this week, I thought with new beginnings, something that you may or may not understand is that we fall into fearful patterns as Erica did. And if this week we can maybe tune into those fearful patterns and just, I'm not asking you to do anything else but pause and recognize it. Maybe write it down in a journal or just toss it around in your mind, but also envision what it would look like if you chose differently. That's it. I mean, I know that we all have certain things that we do because we're, we're, we know we're not happy. We know it's not good for us. We may even know it's not good for people around us, but we sit in it because the discomfort is what is comfortable for us. Yeah. So maybe pause, recognize it, and then even start to think about what it would look like if you chose differently. I love that, Evelyn, because I do think positive practices can be that simple, a simple pause, a simple acknowledgement, because in that moment, we have the opportunity to to make small changes in just that Mm -hmm. moment of pause. So I love that. I think that's a really good one. Okay. Well, that's this week's episode of the Positivity Platform. We thank you so much for joining us, and we will look forward to examining another life experience next week as we work together to forge pathways to positivity. If you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of the Positivity Platform, please follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio to receive updates and alerts when new episodes are released. And please leave us a comment on our social media, positivity.platform on Facebook and Instagram, and the Positivity Platform on Twitter at PosPod2022. Thank you for joining us on the Positivity Platform.